Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher, and today I have with me Christian Cisco, who is one of the top brokers in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Hi, Christian. How are you? I'm good. Nice to see you, John. Yeah, likewise. I'm glad you came on the program. What's it like out there in, in Jackson Hole right now? What's the weather like? Uh, we had an amazing, beautiful summer, and we are in the midst of a brief uh, but possibly permanent transition into fall. So, oh, all right. So we're we're moving along, as they say. Now, uh, before we talk about real estate in Jackson Hole, uh, let's talk about you. We all had lives before real estate. So, how did you get into real estate, and how did you get to Jackson Hole? Uh, I got to Jackson Hole as a five-year-old in 1980. I. Uh, so you had State. no choice. You had no choice then. <laughs> no choice in the matter, but I liked the choice. So we were, came from a skiing family, and that was part of the reason to move here. And, and a big part of the reason a lot of people moved here in the 70s and 80s. Um, I graduated from the University of Wyoming. I moved and worked into uh, Houston, Texas, and Chicago, outside of Chicago in Naperville, Illinois. I had nothing to do with real estate. Uh, growing up, my aunt was a top producer here in Jackson in real estate. I came back for my brother's wedding in 2005. A friend of mine uh, proposed a real estate opportunity and I promptly quit my cubicle and salary and moved back to Jackson where my brother and parents lived and uh, began my career in real estate in the uh, beginning of 2006. So you've been at it since then and and just chugging along as they say. So so tell us about, uh, let's talk about Jackson Hole. Uh, coming from New York, where I am, which has some of the highest taxes in the country, are there any tax benefits in Wyoming, Christian? And what are they? Yes. Uh, so Wyoming is regarded as the most tax-friendly state in the country. That's uh, a combination of no state income tax, no corporate income tax, uh, very low property taxes. And then there are a few other Um, more complex benefits. Um, You can establish a dynasty trust, for example, and and ensure uh, tax security to your trust for a thousand years. Um, The LLC was invented in Wyoming and um, it's uh, there is no state uh, or income tax on dividends. So it's, there are other states in the country with, no state income tax, but there is no state that has that total package and combination of benefits. That's pretty phenomenal. I know Florida has some some tax benefits. That's why a lot of New Yorkers are moving there. Have you seen any uh, New Yorkers coming out to Wyoming? Yeah, we've always had a lot of people from the Northeast, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, um, uh, and Chicago or in the Bay Area, or San Francisco are probably our primary historical feeder markets. Interesting. Okay. Um, I thought New York was the uh, cultural hub, but you have a cultural scene in Jackson Hole. Uh, Can you tell us about that? Yeah. uh, So uh, in conjunction with this tax climate um, per capita, Teton County, Wyoming is the wealthiest county 
again, per capita in the United States. It's also the most philanthropic county per capita in the United States. So we have a very strong community here. It's still a small community. There are about 20,000 people total in the Valley. Um, but your arts and culture and um, a very wide variety of nonprofits are, are very strong and significant here. Um, we have excellent dining, we have excellent arts, and we have excellent outdoors. So in the summertime, do you have any festivals? Um, we are in the midst right now of the Fall Arts Festival, which is probably the, the single biggest true, quote, festival that Jackson would have. Uh, and that runs for two weeks right now in September. Um, nothing else out of the ordinary in the summer. The summer here in Jackson is still a very busy place with a lot of uh, driving tourists that are, are passing through Jackson on their way to Yellowstone. Huh. Interesting. Um, it's funny. I had a friend that lived out in uh, East Hampton. He sold the house there and moved to Jackson Hole. And he kept saying, you got to come. You know, it's it's fabulous. Uh, and now I can see why. This uh, 3% of uh, uh, Teton, uh, Teton County is privately owned. Uh, what What does that mean? Yeah, so that's another very uh, unique fundamental of Jackson Hole. 97% of the county is public land, which leaves 3% that's privately held. Uh, Wyoming, for a, a long, long time, has been very progressive in um, its conservation easements. So about half of that 3% or most of the open space ranch land that someone would see here visiting is in a conservation easement, meaning that it, it is a tax benefit to the owner of the property, but it cannot be further developed. When you take out uh, river systems, road systems, and steep hillsides, it's arguable that we have about 1% of our county that's developable. So when you compare the dynamics of our environment to a park city or a Vale, for example, that just keeps sprawling and sprawling and sprawling, that cannot happen in Jackson. So there's a finite amount of land, basically. There's a truly fixed supply. Right. Wow. That's almost like the Hamptons here, that uh, a lot of places, uh, when the dip happened, uh, what was that, 2008, uh, um, in real estate, uh, and that happened more so for areas like Las Vegas and Florida because they can expand. But here in the Hamptons, we didn't suffer as much and probably the same happened to you guys in, in Jackson Hole. Yeah, the, the biggest thing we saw was just a reduction in the in the volume of transactions. There was no, you know, massive price drop or anything. It just was a very slow market. Right, right. right. I will tell you that throughout that slow period, though, the ultra high end of the Jackson Hole market continued along in a healthy manner. Wow. Um, how is your inventory, by the way? Uh, our inventory has actually come back up from being uh, at record lows even prior to COVID. So we're seeing um, more homes on the market. And we've seen a little influx in, in again, the ultra high-end properties uh, in excess of 20 million in just the last couple of weeks here. Um, so I feel like right now there are actually a lot more options than there have been uh, probably over the last 36 months. Mm. So have you seen uh, the market change much within, say, the last six months? Because, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, 
have certainly seen a slowdown, uh, I would say, beginning in the May and June timeframe, a slowdown on transactions. There have been some price reductions and there has been an increase in supply. So I think, uh, you know, things are balancing out. Good. Um, you know, with the uh, mortgages now hovering at uh, 6%, has that had any effect on your market? Uh, well, when I started in 2006, I was in a continuing education course uh, with a friend of mine's mother who had been a broker for a long time. And the, the uh, instructor was talking about mortgages and she raised her hand and said that after 20 years of business in Jacksonville, she had never uh, done anything other than a cash deal. So I think on the very low end, uh, it's put a little pressure on, on borrowers, but for the most part, uh, Jacksonville is a cash market. Wow. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's very interesting. Um, do you, what about affordable housing? I mean, one of the issues deep that we have here is that there's not enough uh, affordable housing. Uh, a lot of the uh, trades uh, people, they have to live up island uh, and people working, say, you know, the, in retail or uh, the um, restaurant service industry, uh, they can't afford, you know, to rent some of the places. Do you have any of those issues there in, in Jackson? Yeah, we, we've always uh, struggled with that. And I, as I think most mountain towns have, um, we have a couple of bedroom communities uh, and there are um, a variety of uh, different housing entities and authorities here that help and contribute to things. There is also pretty significant um, mitigation in, imposed on any form of development to offset uh, employee housing. But, you know, that's a big problem all across the West and uh, there really isn't any good solution to it. Um, Jackson Hole's continued to make its way, but uh, I think that that is still an area for improvement for sure. Right, right. Do people have to, uh, people that are in the service industry, did they have to, uh, travel a distance is, you know, like drive two hours to come into Jackson hole. If they have a, if they're working there. They don't have to drive two hours. They have to drive between a half an hour and an hour. Oh, okay. But so that's not the, the situation here. We have, uh, you know, one road that leads into the Hamptons and it's packed in the morning and it's packed in, it, as, uh, around five o'clock or actually it starts earlier than that. But, uh, just curious, you know, that, uh, uh, that's got to be grueling. You know, if you're spending two hours on in the highway and not moving. Uh, it's got to well, be frustrating. it's still, like I said, uh, a place to ski. So a lot of these commuters come from the neighboring uh, Teton County, Idaho, which is divided by Teton Pass on the southern end of the Teton Range. And uh, that has become an extremely popular backcountry skiing site at the top of the pass. So it's frankly, extremely common for uh, a commuter to get a quick ski in in the morning or after work on their, on their way. to work, huh. so. so it all works out then. Um, what kind of advice do you give buyers that are, you know, first time buyers coming into the Jackson hole market? I advise them to try to get their foot in the door and uh, get something. Now we've been in an appreciating market for, you know, since the correction you, you referenced earlier, um, and then they can, they can be here and they can gain some equity and then they can really start to understand ultimately where they would want to be instead of trying to figure that out, having never actually been here. 
Right, right, right. So if anything, I guess you're saying people should go out there and either rent or spend some time, get a feel of the, the land and then make the move. I mean, with all the benefits that it, it, that you mentioned before, especially tax wise, uh, um, I could see why people would want to go to Jackson Hole. Um, speaking of which, I was thinking, um, well, anyway, let me let me go on to something else. Um, did Yellowstone, uh, didn't it recently have floods? Has that affected your market at all? No, that didn't have any impact on on uh, the real estate market in Jackson. It certainly did on the the retail driving based tourists I mentioned earlier that that come through Jackson. Um, we also had our airport closed from uh, from April through June. Um, that's the only airport in a national park, and the FAA had mandated a replacement, not resurfacing, but a replacement of the tarmac. So that was a pretty significant project. It was done on time and under budget and opened back up at the end of June. So there was a noticeable noticeable uptick in retail activity in the, in the town of Jackson, but it didn't have any effect on the, on the real estate market. Oh, good, good. Um, do you have a rental market there? Um, we don't really get involved in the rental business. We have a limited area areas of short-term eligible zones, so to speak, within the county. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, we have a pretty tight uh, long-term residential rental market. Yeah. It's, okay. Um, if someone had more questions for you, uh, especially about Jackson Hole, how could they reach you, Christian? Uh, my phone number is 307-699-1300. Or they can just simply go to ciscogroup.co. That's C-I-S-C-O group.co. Oh, great. Christian Cisco, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting here in the wonderful village of Southampton, New York on WLIW 88.3 FM, the only NPR station on Long Island. So please stay where you are, since we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have Brown Harris Stevens, Executive Managing Director of the Hamptons, Robert Nelson. Hey, Robert, how are you today? Oh, hey, John. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I always love having you on because you're just a, a wealth of knowledge. So you've been on the show before, but I wonder if you would share with us again how you were attracted to real estate and why. Well, it was um, 38 years ago and I was working on Wall Street and I, yeah, I was new. On, I was young. I was uh, 22. And um, a, a friend of, of, of my sister um, had a real estate company. I didn't know him. I met him. At, at, he came over to the house and he just said like that, he goes, you should be in real estate. And uh, and I thought, huh, that sounds interesting. And so we talked over you know, at dinner and then I went to NYU to get my real estate uh, license as I was still working because, you know, I, I was, was new uh, living in New York City. And um, as soon as I got my license, I went to work for him and Thompson Realty in New York City. Uh, as a rental agent, as you did then, you started as a rental agent. 
so you could make money your first week or two. Wow. Um, and then and then moved over into building sales and co-op condos and everything else. But uh, that was it. That's how that I started. Was the beginning. That. So yeah. was he your mentor? Absolutely. Time? He he was very charismatic. And um, which is how I described him at that uh, at that dinner. You know, you should be in real estate. And uh, and the way he always made it sound very exciting. Oh, yeah, which which it is. Um, and, and it's something I always liked, you know, I, as a kid, you know, we always were, were, would go to open houses with my mother, my sister and I. And uh, um, we always wanted to like remodel <laughs> my sister and I. And I don't think my parents did, but uh, we always did. So as soon as he said that, it did, it triggered something that I hadn't, I really had not thought of. You know, I had gone to college and was pre-med and was thinking, no, you know, that. And then I went and worked for Shearson Lehman down on, on in the World Trade Center. And I thought, oh, that's the that's the path. And it wasn't until someone said and he said something and I, I changed course. And, right there. And it just clicked. That's that's yeah. fabulous. Um, you've heard about uh, this uh, quiet resignation going on. And I'm sure a lot of those people are thinking, why don't I go into real estate? It can't be that hard. What kind of advice would you give to those people? Well, you know, I get I have. You know, at least once or twice a week, I have someone that contacts me because they want to get into real estate. So I, I, I've told the story so many times of, of what I would tell them or what I do tell them. And, and first is I always say you should have a passion for homes and land and design and gardens, because if you don't have that, maybe you have a passion for, you know, BMWs or for motorcycles or for healthcare, you know, or get into that sale, you know, get into the sale that you have the the like of what you're selling, because I don't know how you do it otherwise. Um, you, you know, I, and you might as well sell what you like. And, uh, you know, the fun thing about real estate is we're not stuck with um, one product to sell. We have unlimited, you know, uh, you know, products. So you can uh, specialize then in kind of what you, what you like. But I, I, that's the first thing I say. And then the second thing I say is, always prepare that this is more than a full-time job. It is not even a full-time job. It is more hours than a full-time job. It's eight days um, a week, right? Yeah. It's seven days a week. And, you know, it's more than eight hours. Um, and, but again, if you like it, if you like, uh, you, you know, looking at property and, and describing it to people and showing people and, and, and then ultimately, you know, having a transaction where the the buyers are super happy and the and the sellers are 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 super happy, that's really satisfying. It is. I know exactly what you're saying. It's fascinating what you said because I said a similar thing to somebody, a young person, saying, uh, uh, "I was thinking of going in real estate," and I said the same thing. I said, "Find your passion. What are you passionate about?" Yeah. And yeah, I think that's yeah. the key. You know, if you can find that, the rest it's not working. It's doing something you like. And the other thing I say is you're you're a small business. You are not um, if you want to be told what to do, go work for a company and they'll tell you what to do in real estate. You're a small business and you have to figure out every day and every week, every month, your plan, your business plan of how are you going to achieve what you want to achieve? Um, you know, and I think that's where a lot of people fall short is they start off and, you know, a couple months later, they're thinking, well, now what do I do? And, you know, it's endless things. You know, I, I, I can sit down and give, you know, somebody 50 things to do, um, but it's up to you to, to actually do them. Yeah, to have the initiative. Right. That's so yeah. true. Well, we've wrapped up the summer season, which is amazing that it's gone by so quickly. Did you notice any difference in the rental market this year as compared to last? 
Well, we know the last two years, you know, it was on fire and people could, you know, do any, you know, every place rented, every house. I said, you know, every house in the Hamptons had someone in them. Um, and then people that rented up through really January, February, it was very robust. And then uh, we saw that as the spring then turned into later spring and summer, if the home had, had not rented, it really had a tough time renting. Um, and the, the offers that came in were, as they would say, lowball offers, um, and landlords were many times not interested in taking taking that. Uh, but no, there were definitely plenty of rentals that that didn't rent that had the previous two years due to COVID. Right. You know, I I know I had people calling me saying, you know, I've rented this house year after year, and this is the first year it didn't happen. And you know, we have our. Um, people that had purchased that those would have been in the rental stock before. Right. Um, so we lost those people. We lost also the homes um, that were in the rental stock that were purchased. And so, you know, not only just the tenant, but we lost the the, the product, the house to rent. Um, there were so many uh, sale transactions. Um, so, you know, that was a factor also. And the, the, the third factor was the landlords, uh, many of them, really increased their rental prices during COVID and then did not decrease it uh, when the house didn't rent or did not decrease it enough to entice the the tenants that were still out there. You know, I think also uh, a lot of people, you know, because of the, uh, the pricing said, and they, and because of the uh, pandemic, you know, the idea that they can go someplace else, um, go to Europe, well, all of a sudden they could fly that I think had some impact. Yep. Yep. You know, you ask a couple hundred thousand dollars for, you know, not that great of a house, just a, you know, just sort of a house and uh, people can begin to, 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 you know, question it, you know, when, when that house previously had been half the price. Right. Exactly. Let's talk about the sales market. Has that changed in the last six months? Um, yes. You know, we watch it really closely. Obviously there are, there's a lot less inventory, so there's a lot less transactions. But we we track it here at Brown Harris every week, and what's interesting is we're pretty much now at a par where the number of new listings is somewhat equal to the number in contract. So that's interesting. We thought people thought, and we thought that there would be a lot more listings in the fall, and we're not finding that true. We're finding it just sort of they they come on, you know, they're they're just sort of a, a small, you know, I'll say a smaller number come on and but they do go into contract um, and uh, versus, you know, a year ago uh, where there were a lot coming on and a lot going into contract. So there's just less less transactions, but not in the sense of uh, a lot coming to the market and and not very many going into contract. We're finding right. it almost equal. Wow, that is interesting. Do you think uh, it's going to slow down? Not unless uh, you start having a lot more listings come on that don't go into contract. Um, that 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 would be a tipping point over you know over a period of time. Period of time. Of that course. that and that's not happening. And you know, I think there's a few factors. You know, one is interest rates um, have gone up, and so people almost everyone is in a fixed rate in America um, and uh, versus some other countries, and they don't necessarily want to lose that fixed rate. So um, they're staying put. So you're losing those homes that maybe the people might've just moved because they, well, they wanted a family room or they wanted that 
fourth bedroom. And now they say, you know what, we'll just stay put because we have our 3% interest and we don't need to, to sell. You know, it wasn't a huge necessity to, to sell. It's a supply and demand, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's such a crazy market now. Um, if anything's reasonably priced, what you were talking about before, that usually there's like a bidding war. What advice do you give to uh, uh, buyers coming into the market? Be prepared. Have your, if you're, if you're taking a mortgage, have your pre-approval from a lender that people, the seller recognizes um, and, and do the full pre-approval. Don't just, you know, do a 10 minute phone call with them. Make sure they've looked at your tax returns, your credit score, um, all, all the, all the things that lender needs to do to, to pre-approve you so that you, that's part of your package when you present your offer. Um, it's also good to, uh, you know, show your proof of funds, even if you're getting a mortgage, you know, show the funds in excess that you need to close. Um, uh, you know, be ready to have an inspection right away. Uh, you know, the, the times are ticking once you have that accepted offer until contracts are fully executed, anyone can come along. So you want to move fast, you know, you on your end as the buyer, you want to really line things up so that within a couple of days, you're ready to sign contracts. You know, the seller might not be ready, but but, you know, you're ready on your end. So uh, there's there's nothing holding you up. Right. I think that's great advice. A lot of buyers and sellers are out here on the weekends. Uh, of course, an agent will call the owner and, and ask if they can show the house. Should sellers stay in the house while the agent is showing or should they leave? Never. <laughs> Please don't stay in the house. That is a, a, a veteran real estate person's nightmare. It, ne it never turns out well. Um, the seller, number one, people, if you think of yourself as uh, going to an open house, if someone's sitting on the couch in a room and they're typically in the living room or the family room, that's typically where the sellers like to sit or in the kitchen, uh, you, you go, oh, oh, hi. And then you just peek your head in and then you walk out. You don't want to really go in and invade their space. So you've already missed a room. And then let's say you did go in, you start the conversation and, and the seller then and, the, and that potential buyer go down this path that has it, it can really go in, in a very odd direction. Um, you know, the sellers typically point out the, you know, the furnace that they had replaced and uh, <laughs> something about the comment. They're making the owner, me laugh. It's, uh, it's, I've been there, you know? So yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and then the, 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 then the potential buyer says, oh, was there something wrong with that? Oh, yeah, you know, we had in, you know, 2017, we had, and it just can snowball into, uh, even though people might like each other, it, it's not a good showing ever. Right. And it's best to take the dog for a walk, you go for a walk, whatever you need to do, get, get out of the house, the broker will, the listing broker will text you when the showing's done, and uh, you can come back then. Right. Great advice again. What do you think about pocket listings? Some sellers seem to think they're an advantage. What do you think? I, I don't because you're missing 90% um, of the potential buyers out there. Uh, you know, all the buyers, uh, you know, either, either they're working with a broker already or they might just be online looking, but they'll only see your house if, if it's listed. Um, so the pocket listing, yes, there are those, those, you know, few buyers, but you've limited your pool. Right. Okay. In, uh, 15 seconds, can you, uh, if you had a crystal ball, what do you think, uh, 2023 is going to look like for the market? In 38 years, I've learned that the crystal ball never works. Um, who would have predicted 
you, you know, all these events that have happened, you know, really in my my entire career, you know, I remember the 87 stock market crash, you know, you know, the, the foreclosure period of the of the late 80s, early 90s, the, you know, these booms and busts. And then recently, just with COVID, I mean, when we were talking in April, uh, uh, you know, when COVID, you know, hit in, in March and all of a sudden April, May, you know, everyone in real estate, we thought the world had ended. And uh, you know, who would have imagined that that real estate nationally, it wasn't just the Hamptons nationally, right. took a turn where it inter- is. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Robert, but uh, how can somebody get in touch with you? Uh, I'm Robert Nelson, uh, Brown Air Stevens, Executive Managing Director, and email rnelson, N-E-L-S-O-N, at bhsusa.com. Great. Robert Nelson, it's been a pleasure having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting here in the bustling village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. Thank you so much for listening. And in the meantime, be sure to have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM. Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at wliw.org radio.